Welcome to the Myth, Legend and Lore podcast. The Orkneyma Saga, Chapter 34 of Earl Magnus, Erlend's Son. The Holy Magnus, Earl of the Islands, was a most excellent man. He was of large stature, a man of noble presence and intellectual countenance. He was of a blameless life, victorious in battles, wise, eloquent, strong minded, liberal and magnanimous, sagacious in councils, and more beloved than any other man. To wise men, and good, he was a gentle and affable man in conversation, but severe and unsparing with robbers and vikings. Many of those who plundered the landowners and the inhabitants of the land he caused to be put to death. He also seized murderers and thieves, and punished rich and poor impartially for robberies and thefts and all crimes. He was just in his judgments, and had more respect to divine justice than difference in estates of men. He gave large presents to chiefs and rich men, yet the greatest share of his liberality was given to the poor. In all things he strictly obeyed the divine commands, and he chastened his body in many things, which in his glorious life were known to God, but hidden from men. Thus, he had made known his intention to espouse a maiden of the most excellent family in Scotland, and having celebrated his marriage, he lived with her for ten winters free from the defilement of carnal lusts, for he was pure and spotless with regard to all such sins, and, if he were tempted, he bathed in cold water and prayed for divine assistance. Many other glorious virtues he exhibited to God himself, but concealed from men. Chapter 35 of Magnus and Hakon Magnus and Hakon ruled their lands and defended them for some time the two agreeing very well. In a song made about them, it is said that they fought with a chief called Dufniel, their third cousin, who fell before them. They also slew a famous man named Thjorbjorn in Borgarfjord in Hjatland. Other deeds of theirs are set forth in song, though not specially narrated here. When they had ruled the land for some time, it happened, as is often the cause, that men of evil dispositions were found who destroyed their good understanding. Hakon was more disposed to listen to these miserable men because he was very jealous of the popularity and greatness of his kinsman Magnus. Chapter 36 of Earl Magnus Two men with Earl Hakon are chiefly mentioned as being the worst in creating enmity between the two kinsmen. These were Sigurd and Sigvat Soki. Through the slander of wicked men, this enmity went so far that the earls gathered troops together and went to meet each other. Both went to Rossi, where the Orkney Thingstead was, and when they arrived there, both drew up their troops in battle array and prepared to fight. 
There were both the earls and all the chief men, many of whom were friends of both, and did all they could to make peace between them, showing much goodwill and virtuous disposition. This meeting was during Lent, but, as many well-disposed men joined themselves together to avert hostilities between them and to assist neither of them against the other, they confirmed the reconciliation with oaths and shaking of hands. Some time after this, Earl Hakon, with hypocrisy and fair words, appointed a day of meeting with the blessed Earl Magnus, so that their friendship and newly made peace should neither be disturbed nor destroyed. This meeting, which was to confirm their peace and reconciliation, should take place in the spring, in the Pash Week, in Aglesea. Earl Magnus was pleased with this arrangement, as he thought it was meant to confirm a sincere peace, without any suspicions, treachery, or covetousness. Each of them should have two ships and an equal number of men. Both swore to keep the peace on conditions dictated by the wisest men. Immediately after Easter, preparations were made for the meeting. Earl Magnus summoned all those whom he knew to be best disposed to him, and most likely to make matters smooth between them. He had two ships, and as many men as had been agreed upon, and when he was ready he went to Aglesea. As they were rowing in calm and smooth water, a great wave rose under the ship, which was steered by the earl, and broke over it where he sat. His men wondered very much at such an occurrence, that a breaker should rise in smooth water where no man could remember a breaker to have risen, and where the water was so deep. Then the earl said, No wonder that you are surprised by this. Indeed, I take this as a foreboding of my death. Perhaps it will come to pass, as was prophesied about Earl Hakon. And this may be to prepare us for Hakon, my kinsman not dealing honestly with me at this meeting. The Earl's men became very sorrowful when he spoke of his death being near at hand, and begged him to take care of his life and not to trust himself to the good faith of Earl Hakon. Earl Magnus answered, Let us go this time, and let all that depends on our journey be in God's will. Chapter 37 Earl Hakon and Earl Magnus Now it is to be told of Earl Hakon that he gathered together a numerous army and had many ships equipped as if for battle. And when the troops were assembled, he made it known to his men that he intended that this meeting should decide between him and Earl Magnus, so that both of them should not rule over the Orkneys. Many of his men approved of this plan, adding many wicked suggestions to it. Yet Sigurd and Sigvat Soki counselled the worst things. Then they began to row fast, and went along quickly. Harvard Gunnarsson, who was the friend and counsellor of the earls, and equally faithful to them both, was on board the earl's ship. Hakon had concealed this wicked plan from him, and by which he would by no means have had out any part. And when he knew that the earl was so resolute in this wicked purpose, he jumped overboard and swam to a certain uninhabited island. Earl Magnus arrived first with his men at Aglesea, and when they saw Earl Hakon coming, they perceived that he had eight warships. Then Earl Magnus suspected that he intended to act treacherously towards him, so he walked along the island with his men and went into a church to pray. His men offered to defend him. The Earl replied, I will not put your lives in danger for mine, and if peace cannot be established between us, so be it as God wills. 
his men now recognised the truth of his words, as he foreknew the hours of his life, whether from his wisdom or from a divine revelation. He would neither fly nor avoid his enemies. He prayed devoutly and had a mass sung for him. Chapter 38 The Offers of Earl Magnus Hakon and his men came up in the morning and ran first to the church and ransacked it, but they did not find the earl. He had gone to another part of the island, to a certain hiding place, accompanied by two men. But when the holy Earl Magnus saw that they searched for him, he called to them, and thus made known to them where he was, and said they need search no farther. And when Hakon saw him, he and his men ran thither with loud yelling and clangour of their weapons. Earl Magnus was praying when they came up to him, and when he had finished his prayer, he made the sign of the cross and said firmly to Earl Hakon, You did not act well, kinsman, when you broke your oaths, and it is highly probable that you were instigated to this more by the wickedness of others than your own. Now I will make you three offers, that you may rather accept one of them than break your oaths and slay me who am innocent. Hakon's men asked what these offers were. The first is that I shall go to Rome, or away to Jerusalem, and visit the holy places, taking with me two ships from the Orkneys, with the necessary equipment for the journey, and obtain benefits for the souls of us both. I shall swear never to return to the Orkneys. This offer was promptly rejected. Then said Earl Magnus, Now, because my life is in your power, and I have offended against Almighty God in many things, you shall send me to Scotland, to our mutual friends, and keep me in custody there, with two men for companionship. Make such provision that I shall not be able to escape from this custody. This too was promptly refused. Magnus then said, There is yet one more offer which I shall make, and God knows that I think more of your soul than of my own life. For if it were better that you should do as I shall offer you, than that you should take my own life. Let me be maimed as you like, or deprived of my eyes, and throw me into a dark dungeon. Then said Earl Hakon, This offer I accept, and I ask for no more. But the chief started up, and said to Earl Hakon, One of you will now kill, and from this day you shall not both rule the lands of the Orkneys. Earl Hakon replied, Slay him then, for I would rather have earldom and lands than instant death. Thus, their conversation was related by Hold Bodhi, a truthful bondi to the Sudriar, who was one of the two of Earl Magnus's men, who were with him when he was taken. Chapter 39 The Beheading of Earl Magnus The worthy Earl Magnus was as cheerful as if he had been invited to a banquet, and spoke neither words of offence nor anger. After these words had passed, he fell on his knees to pray, hiding his face in his hands and shedding many tears before God. Then, when the holy Earl Magnus was thus doomed to death, Hakon ordered his banner-bearer, Ophaig, to slay the Earl, but he refused with the utmost wrath. Then he forced Leifolf, his cook, to be the slayer of Magnus, and he began to weep aloud. Weep not thus, said Earl Magnus, for this is an honourable task. Be firm and you shall have my clothing, according to the custom and laws of the men of old. Be not afraid, 
For you do this against your will, and he who forces you sins more than you. When he had said this, he took off his tunic and gave it to Lefov. Then he asked for permission to pray, which was granted to him. He fell upon the earth and gave himself to God, offering himself as a sacrifice. He prayed not only for his friends, but also for his enemies and murderers, and forgave them with all his heart. Their offences against himself were forgiven too. He confessed his sins to God and prayed that they might be washed from him in the shedding of his blood. He commended his spirit to God's keeping and prayed that his angels might come to meet his soul and carry it into the rest of paradise. Some say that he took the sacrament when the mass was sung. Then, when God's friend was led to execution, he said to Lefov, Stand before me, and hew me a mighty stroke on the head, for it is not fitting that a high-born lord should be put to death like a thief. Be firm, poor man, for I have prayed to God for you, that he may have mercy upon you. After that he signed the sign of the cross, and stooped under the blow, and his spirit passed into heaven. Chapter 40 The Saintship of Earl Magnus Made Manifest The place where Earl Magnus was slain was previously covered with moss and stones, but shortly afterwards his merits before God became manifest in this wise, that it became a green sword where he was beheaded. Thus, God showed that he had suffered for righteousness' sake, and had obtained the beauty and verdure of paradise, which is called the land of the living. Earl Hakon did not permit his body to be brought to the church for burial. The day of Earl Magnus's death was two days after Tibertismus. Then he had been seven winters the Earl of the Orkneys along with Earl Hakon. Seventy-four winters had passed since the death of King Olaf. The kings of Norway were at this time Sigurd, Eystein and Olaf. It was 1,091 winters after the birth of Christ. Chapter 41 The Earl's Body Brought to the Church Thora, the mother of Earl Magnus, had invited both the earls to a banquet after their meeting, and Earl Hakon went there after the murder of the holy Earl Magnus. Thora herself served at the banquet and brought the drink to the earl and his men who had been present at the murder of her son. And when the drink began to have effect on the earl, then went Thora before him and said, you came here alone, my lord, and I expected you both. Now I hope you will gladden me in the sight of God and men. Be to me in the stead of a son, and I shall be to you in the stead of a mother. I stand here greatly in need of your mercy now, and I pray you permit me to bring my son to church. Hear this, my supplication now, as you wish God to look upon you at the day of doom. The earl became silent and considered her case, as she prayed so meekly with tears that her son might be brought to church. He looked upon her, and the tears fell, and he said, Bury your son where it pleases you. Then the earl's body was brought to Rossi and buried at Christ Kirk in Bursey, which had been built by Earl Thorfinn. Chapter 42 the Miracle Working of Magnus the Martyr Soon after this, a heavenly light was seen above his burial place. Then 
men who were placed in danger began to pray to him, and their prayers were heard. A heavenly odour was frequently perceived above his burial place, from which people suffering from illness received help. Then, sufferers who made pilgrimages thither both from the Orkneys and Yotland, and kept vigils at his grave, and were cured of all their sufferings. But people dared not make this known while Erhaken was alive. It is said of the men who were most guilty in the murder of the holy Earl Magnus, that most of them met with a miserable death. Chapter 43 Miracles Wrought by the Blessed Friend of God, Magnus William was Bishop of the Orkneys at this time. He was the first bishop there. The bishop's seat was at Christ's Kirk in Bursey. William was bishop for six winters of the seventh decade. For a long time he disbelieved in the sanctity of Earl Magnus, until his merits became manifest to such a degree that God made his holiness grow the more conspicuous the more it was tried, as is told in the book of his miracles. Chapter 44 The Journey of Earl Hakon to the South After the murder of Earl Magnus, Hakon, Paul's son, took possession of all the Orkneys, and exacted an oath of fealty from all men, and took submission from those who had served Earl Magnus. He became a great chief, and made many heavy exactions from those of Earl Magnus's friends, who, in his opinion, had taken part against him. Some winters after this, he prepared to leave the country, and went to Rome. Then he also went to Jerusalem, according to the custom of the Palmers, and brought away sacred relics, and bathed in the River Jordan. After that he returned to his dominions, and resumed the government of the Orkneys. He became a good ruler, and established peace throughout his dominions. He also made new laws for the Orkneys, which landowners liked better than the former ones. Then he became so popular, that the Orkneymen desired no other rulers than Hakon and his issue. 